Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Don, and Dude. Get the funk out. It's the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude. I got a disappointed Andy. I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me. What's happening? Hot stuff. How you doing, Andy? Hey, what's up, brother? Hey, were you aware that uh, if you free your mind, then your, your ass will follow? I thought it was the rest. We'll follow. It depends what verse you're on, but yeah. Hmm. Don, how you doing? I'm going to turn this mother out. <laughs> don't. <laughs> don't. Don't ever say mother again. <laughs> wow. If you could see Don's expression when he said that, it's still fear in anyone. <laughs> so this is, in fact, the Album Nerds podcast. We love albums. We love talking about them. We are big music fans and would like to welcome y'all to the party. All right, so we've got a great show for you today. We're going to be getting funky, talking a little bit about some uh, funk fusion. So we're going to get into our week of listening. How funked up did we get? And uh, then we'll talk about our three album picks, as well as answer a question that will loosely be related to today's topic. And then we're going to spin the wheel of musical destiny to find out what we're going to talk about on the next podcast episode. But this week, it's all about that funk. That's what I'm talking about! So funk is a music genre that originated in African-American communities in the mid-1960s when musicians created a rhythmic, danceable new form of music through a mixture of various popular genres. It de-emphasizes melody and chord progressions and focuses on the strong rhythmic groove of a bass line and drum part, often at slower tempos than other popular music. Funk typically consists of a complex percussive groove with rhythm instruments playing interlocking grooves that create a hypnotic and danceable feel. James Brown developed a signature groove that emphasized the downbeat. He also had rock and psychedelia influence musicians like Sly and the Family Stone and Jimi Hendrix, fostering improvisation in funk. Artists such as Cool and the Gang, Parliament, Funkadelic, and Earth, Wind, and Fire further developed these innovations in the 70s and 80s. Funk's influence can be found in all genres of popular music, including pop, jazz, hip-hop, rock, and metal. And today, each of us will present an album that incorporates elements of funk. Hey, Don, the History Channel called it once its funk episode back. <laughs> you should hear the unedited version. Trying to watch the History Channel here. <laughs> Andy, how did you do on your funky journey? Oh, man, I was lost out of a funk sea for a while. Spent a lot of time in the 70s. A lot of good stuff there, obviously. George Duke, Donald Byrd. Bobby Humphrey, even Jeff Beck had a pretty funky album in the mid-70s. Mm -hmm. And then more modern stuff, uh, a little Fishbone, pretty funky group as well. And then I listened to a bunch of Tony Allen, who was a part of a fellow Kute's uh, band, also in the 70s, but he puts out some later work in the 2000s that was pretty good as well. But yeah, now I ended up with a new artist that we'll talk about in a few moments here that I'm pretty excited about. New to me, I should say. Yeah, I, I had a similar experience. The 70s were hard to escape, but then we were kind of looking for things that were more funk-influenced or came after and had elements of funk in it rather than funk itself. And, and you know, I, I wanted to take the easy road. Stevie Wonder Talking Book certainly has funk elements, but a lot of R&B and soul elements as well. 24-7 Spies, uh, the album Harder Than You. Mix of funk, reggae, metal, polka. 
Uh, they do a pretty cool cover of, of Jungle Boogie by Cool and the Gang. I was really close on that one. That's from the 80s. And then anything by Lenny Kravitz would have probably sufficed because he has at least one song on every album that's pretty mm-hmm. funky. But uh, I decided to go a different direction, kind of in the same time period where Lenny Kravitz was breaking big. But uh, it's a pretty exciting record, so can't wait to get into that. Donald, did you explore new funky territory or go back to the well? <laughs> well, yeah, I did a little uh, of both. Of course, the, the first place I started was Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it doesn't get much funkier than that. <laughs> now, I did want to mention some some albums that we've covered before that, that would qualify. Uh, Roxy Music, Avalon, um, Faith No More, Epic. You know, I think any Duran Duran album would, would probably qualify. You know, I really came close to doing Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar Sex Magic from 1991. But instead, I did go back to the 70s. Funky butt-loving! <laughs> All right, well, let's get to it then. You... Choo choo choose me? Aren't you the bass player? Why are we even talking to you? Shouldn't you be like unloading equipment or something? The bass is the foundation of the band! All right, here for my funk fusion selection, we are talking about Jaco Pastorius and his self titled debut solo studio album from 1976. Jaco is a bassist and composer from Norristown, Pennsylvania. He's known for his flashy electric bass play as a solo artist, and then he gained some more notoriety later on as a member of The Weather Report. Particularly record features piano stylings by Herbie Hancock, as well as some nice features by uh, saxophonist Wayne Shorter and uh, R&B vocalist uh, Sam and Dave. So, star-studded affair. We are going to play a cut here that features Sam and Dave. This is a little bit of Come On, Come Over. I can barely hear the bass. I'm joking. Yeah, turn up your headphones, man. It was so nice this week. So so much bass, you know, but nice funky bass underneath everything, and and all the records kind of have it at the forefront. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely a feature this week, and particularly on this record. So Jocko kind of serves as the as the band leader here. You know, composing the majority of these songs and, and kind of taking lead on the bass, which is kind of interesting to hear that. That instrument lead the way, especially in a in a jazz group. Um, and I would say this album does classify primarily as jazz, but I think even more than that, it's really a showcase for Pastorius's bass playing skills, and he's really out to uh, capture the imagination of what was capable on the bass here. The three words I used to describe this album is: let's see if you guys remember this meme from about twenty years ago. All your bass are belong to Jacko. Some people out there will get that. <laughs> yeah I, I was just uh has cheeseburger was the only thing coming to mind for me <laughs> same time period yeah i thought that track there come on come over really stood out it's the only track that has vocals on it and has a kind of a larger sound on it with the all the horns and accompaniments there yeah i thought that song in particular really crackled along and and worked really well um, there are some other really impressive moments on the on the album, uh, some really cool solos. But I think overall on this record, I'm a little bit mixed on it, to be honest. I think as impressive as Jocko's bass playing is, I don't know if it works 
great in a group like this in terms of like actual songs like you would get in a traditional jazz album. Um, it feels like a lot of these songs don't really go anywhere to me. There are some exceptions though. I think uh, used to be a cha cha is a pretty great song, as well as the uh, the opening cut Donna Lee is is pretty impressive. Why don't we play another song that I thought worked did work pretty well? This is a, a two parter here. It's called Kuru Speak Like a Child. That one's like funky Charlie Brown. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> a little Garaldi feel to it. Uh, so that features uh, uh, Herbie Hancock uh, on piano. Uh, so the, the three words I, I chose to describe this album are stand up for the electric bass. Nice. You know, again, I'm a jazz novice. Um, but, I, you know, I, when, when I think of jazz and a, like a jazz trio or whatever, I always picture the, the stand up bass, you know, being the, the instrument that, um, you know, is providing, uh, you know, the, that rhythm track. But, you know, of course, this, this album is all about the uh, electric bass guitar, which really gives it, you know, a different feel. You know, an electric bass is, is amplified and it, it's more dynamic. Apparently, Pastoris uses a uh, fretless bass, uh, um, which, I, again, I don't know a ton about, but it does seem to you know, provide a, a smoother feel uh, and there's, you know, kind of more room between semitones and stuff like that. So again, you know, a, a more dynamic experience. Yeah. So, you know, I just kind of chose to, to lose myself in, in his, uh, his bass playing, you know, really fast. Right. So, I mean, I, I guess, you know, because I mainly come from a, a place of, of pop music and, you know, you don't generally hear that, that, you know, too much. Um, so that was, that was different. Apparently he's also using, making use of harmonics a, a lot more. I don't know if you guys know a lot about harmonics. You know, generally you're like, um, uh, there's no way I could explain it, but well, thanks for uh, bringing it up. Yeah, because <laughs> I don't even fully understand it. But usually, it's when you you have like you kind of softly fret something. You can do it on a guitar as as well, and so it has like these almost like overtones or something that that are almost like accidental. You're not fretting the note as you usually would. Uh, that's a terrible explanation, but. <laughs> Anyway, innovative use of, of harmonics. It's really hard for me to, to talk about jazz. You know, I found it to be an enjoyable experience. I, I like the idea of, uh, of the bass being in the forefront. It's an underrated instrument, I guess, when it comes to sort of uh, lead sounds, right? Typically, yeah. it's just kind of buried and, you know, providing a, a foundation for a record. But definitely, a, you know, a, a fun experience. And, you know, I'm glad that I now, you know, know somebody who's considered to be, you know, one of the elite bass players out there. Yeah, well, let's play a cut here that really shows off his, uh, his elite chops here. This is the bit of the opener called Donna Lee. Interesting tune. It's a famous jazz composition originally written by Charlie Parker, maybe Miles Davis, <laughs> supposedly, or potentially drummer Norman Kahn. Uh, apparently, Charlie Parker is known for, for it, but Miles Davis claimed that he wrote it, but then he later also said that they really got the idea from Norman Kahn, the drummer. <laughs> so, the thing about jazz, man, it's, it's such a collaborative yeah. process. Kahn! Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was it. Come on, you're gonna do it. Do Con! it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 
I think that's better. <laughs> that's pretty good. Come on. Jocko's rendition of the song is notable, of course, for that fretless bass playing, speed, the precision. He's kind of Hendrix of bass. And back to uh, some of the earlier points, that doesn't necessarily carry an album very mm-hmm. well. I mean, it's fun, it's cool, but a couple more tracks with some vocalists probably would have helped. But uh, the uh, three words they used to describe the album are bass, no treble. <laughs> it's all about that bass. I found myself scatting a lot, for lack of lyrics, like along with the bass, like boba dooba 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 you know? You just gotta have um, lyrics, huh? I don't gotta. I mean, I enjoyed the album, but it gets like that, the, the opener. It gets a little like, are we going? Where are yep. we going? And then, like, I guess that's it. <laughs> okay, like, we've been there the whole time, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's funky, it's jazzy, it's bluesy, it's freeing in a way. It just sort of lets you float on those on that fretless bass, you know. So you kind of feel like you're moving up and down that fretboard, and that's what jazz fusion is really all about, right? Like taking jazz, adding some other elements like funky bass and. Also, fusion often um, has innovation, and there's innovation on this record, and I did appreciate that quite a bit. Like the Tony Williams project that we talked about mm-hmm. previously that was a jazz fusion, that would have qualified yeah. for this um, episode as well. But it, it had some of those, some of that feel. I think it's from around the same time period, so it had a similar production feel as well. So, yeah, really cool. I uh, I really like the Jocko. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting album. I definitely recommend listening to it. Like I said, there are some really standout moments and some interesting things that happen that maybe be surprising. Um, but yeah, as, as an album on its own, I think yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag. But if you're not familiar with Jaco and his work with Weather Report, I think this is a good place to start and has some, some pretty cool sounds. So once again, the album is Jaco Pastorius. Jaco Pastorius. Well, Jaco's not in charge. I am. Got it? <laughs> I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. If you're enjoying the program, and we hope you are, do us a solid and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Maybe we made you laugh or you discovered an album you enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find us. My pick for uh, a funky album is from the group Chic. Uh, an album called Risque, uh, which was uh, released in July 1979. Uh, this is the, the third studio album by the disco band formed in New York City in 1972 by guitarist Niall Rogers and bassist Bernard Edwards. Here's uh, the opening cut from that album. This is Good Times. Definitely uh, uh, a recognizable tune there. The the lyrics actually include a reference to uh, Milton Agger's Happy Days Are Here Again. Uh, also in- includes lines based on lyrics featured in About a Quarter to Nine by uh, Al Jolson. Rogers has stated that these... Uh, like Great Depression era lyrics was kind of like a hidden way of, of making a comment on the, the economic conditions uh, in the United States in the in the 1970s. So uh, I think like a lot of chic records, you know, they try to have just like a something, you know, behind it, you know, a little sort of hidden meaning in, in every song. The three words I, I chose to describe the album are parfait, chic, simplicité. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We're getting all sorts um, of European up in here today. 
into that. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So uh, basically, I, you know, I, I think what's going on here, it's, it's relatively simple, but it's kind of stylish and elegant and it's just, you know, impeccably like produced, you know? Uh, and I, I think that's kind of the, the story of, uh, of Chic. You know, Niall Rogers, you know, is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a producer. Uh, Bernard Edwards is also, you know, a, a pretty renowned producer. He did like the, the Power Station albums and Robert Palmer, uh, in, in the eighties. So these are, you know, two guys that really know what they're, they're doing in a studio. Edwards is another bass player that is, uh, renowned. In fact, John Taylor from Duran Duran pretty much steals his, his style. You know, uh, going back to, to Rio, it, it sounds like, uh, an Edwards bass line. Uh, so the album does, uh, feature kind of the, the core group of, of Chic. Um, I mean, Chic is mainly just Rogers and Edwards. Um, but you have lead vocals from Alpha Anderson and, uh, Lucy Martin and drums from Tony Thompson, who also was the drummer of, of the, that Power Station project. Yeah. Let's hear, uh, another track from the album. This is My Feet. Keep dancing. That's done with the uh, tapping there. Very impressive. Though. <laughs> yeah, pretty impressive indeed. Uh, this was the third single from the album, and it features co-lead vocals by Lucy Martin and Bernard Edwards. The track includes uh, a dance solo performed by Fayard Nichols. Very groovy. The bass lines are awesome. The guitar riffs are cool. The tap dancing is uh, unique. Uh, The three words I used to describe the album, more tap sounds. Um, Or more cowbell. No, uh, the three words were funky bass discotheque. Um, it's a little more advanced than a lot of other disco. There's more uh, time and talent put into the musicianship, I think, of these compositions compared to a lot of other disco artists and songs. Lyrics are, you know, kind of flat, but Bernard Edwards, the funky bass player, I, I feel like he's key to the success of of yep. this band. It's a fun listen. Not a lot of meat. Uh, it's well-crafted, like I said, but other than good times, I wasn't, you know, it was okay. It just was disco music in the background. Uh, closer listens, I found some of those nice details, but all in all, there wasn't, a lot of these tracks were not super compelling to me beyond the, the big single, but, you know, it was fun. It was a, a, certainly a non-offensive um, disco experience. Did it make you want to dance is the question. It did not. And that's where it failed. Okay, well let's uh, let's try another one. Uh, here's "Can't Stand to Love You." I really find myself enjoying the the B side of this record uh, a fair amount. It's this just has mm. some like some shorter little R and B funky, you know, there's disco twinge to these tracks, but they're not nearly as heavily discoized as the as the the a side here i would agree a rare feat where b side is the more enjoyable <laughs> and it doesn't have any no like really known tracks no, but no no but I, I, um more variety they should call it the b plus side <laughs> they should three words i used to describe this album are wedding dj approved definitely had some flashbacks to some some wedding receptions I've been to. Not a bad thing. Not only just the sounds, you know, and these songs are, are things you might hear at a wedding reception, but I think the way like the, the disco songs are constructed um, are perfect for like a DJ. They're, um, they're pretty lengthy cuts, man. Eight, six, seven minutes long each. Yeah. 
and there's a lot of just repetition in them, uh, just kind of almost like they've been looped for your enjoyment. It's fun to, to freestyle over them. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be a part of it. Like it's kind of a yeah. chance for the DJ to take over, maybe do a little mic break or mix in something else. Or well, uh, as we alluded to with uh, rapping Granny there from the Wedding Singer, I mean that is exactly what happened with the Sugar Hill game. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, lyrically, like I, I was saying, like the album does seem simple, but I appreciate that there's a, a hidden layer to these lyrics and some thought went into it. I think the, as we've said, like the uh, the low ends, the groove, the rhythm section is really what shines and makes these this album uh, still interesting to hear after all these years. Um, it's pretty tight. You know, I really enjoyed the group playing together. I like the vocalists. You know, I don't always love like uh, multiple lead vocalists like they use here. I, sometimes it sounds yeah. a little sounds a little cheesy, but the very talented singers. And I think especially when they don't have all the strings competing with them on the high end, I think uh, I think it works really well. So yeah, you know, I wasn't I wasn't as down on this as I thought I might be coming into uh, a disco record so uh one uh interesting thing i, I found out you know in, in the story of of chic is that edwards is actually the one who taught nile rogers how to do that guitar strumming pattern i guess they call it like chop chord style um so people some people call it chucking which is also used in in bluegrass a lot but when i think of funk actually i think of kind of that guitar style I think it's like the same guitar that's on like David Bowie's Let's Dance, which of course Nile Rodgers uh, produced. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I thought about if we hadn't talked about that record, I would have snuck yeah, that into been a good potentially. Yeah. And by the way, the, the two of them also produced the Sister Sledge We Are Family, which is another huge disco record. Uh, yes, another big wedding song as well. That tracks. And so uh, further listening, there's a Johnny Mathis album that was never released, which was produced by Bernard Edwards and Nile Rodgers. And it's it's actually quite interesting. You can find it now. It was part of some Johnny Mathis like box set huh. or something. Huh. Anyway, but uh, so that was Chic with Risque from 1979. Could be. That's Chick with Risky. <laughs> 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 That's uh, that's chick <laughs> with rescue. <laughs> Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Now another deep question from Don: What two things do you think work best when put together? So deep. <laughs> One thing that came to mind: I I enjoy if it's an option. If you go to like a a Chinese restaurant or a sushi establishment. I'm all for, give me some chopsticks. Let me enjoy the authentic experience, you know. If I go to a African restaurant, I'll eat with my hands. It's fine. So, yeah, I think that's, I, think I appreciate that element of, uh, of culture in your food. So, like, the chopsticks go together, is that what you mean? So, that's two sticks that go together to form one <laughs> utensil? Literally, the two <laughs> sticks, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> You know, there's that, but I, what I got from his uh, deep answer was the pairing of the food with a traditional implement yes, to eat it with. Thank you. They're also good for catching flies. Yeah, yes. as, as you're a kung fu master. Well, or if you're, you know, training with your maintenance man at your apartment building, if because uh, you got some bullies bothering you. Pretty standard stuff, Andy. We've all been there. Yeah, for me... Uh, Chocolate and peanut butter, of course. That's a that's, famous that's one. That's good. Reese has nailed uh, that. Football and beer, like even on a on a Sunday when I don't feel like having a beer, if football's on, I kind of feel like I must have at least one. It just sort of has to occur. Maybe it's years in the '80s when they were allowed to have constant beer commercials, um, 
maybe I was influenced by that, <laughs> that I must have beer with football. But of course, time and chance. Time and chance. Whoa. There you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tell us more. That's the... That's what leads us through this mysterious thing we call life. We're getting some deep thoughts here. Nice, Don. Well, there's all sorts of areas you could go to. I was thinking sports. Um, so I was thinking like, what, Jordan and Pippin? Oh, you know, go nice. Sure. Go well together. Tons of examples in music, you know, Simon and Garfunkel, Lennon and McCartney. But I'm going to go back to, to food, and I'm going to say uh, grilled cheese and tomato soup. Oh. That's a nice combo. It's just, uh, it's like a, I think it's like yeah. a comfort food, I would say. I, I take a shortcut and uh, put some thin slices of tomato in my grilled yeah. cheese. Then I don't a little healthy soup. Yeah. That's a good combo, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what two things do you like put together? Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let us know. Hit us up on the socials, Instagram, Facebook, and threads. Also on the Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord. And I haven't heard that in so long. Yeah, so In Living Color, and there's often been some confusion, In Living Color was a comedy, you know, a sketch comedy show, but Living Color is the band we're going to be talking about. They formed in 1984. Uh, current lineup, they are still around Vernon Reed, Corey Glover, Will Calhoun, and Doug Wimbish. And apparently Mick Jagger's interest in them back in the day is kind of what led to a recording contract with Epic Records. Their debut album, Vivid, is what we're going to be talking about today. It's a rock, funk, metal, alternative, soul fusion. It's just a lot of good stuff mixed up together. So why don't we start off with a song you might recognize. It's called Cult of Personality. So that riff is pretty inescapable. I love that riff. It's the first track on the album, and without fail, when you start the record, you're happy. <laughs> like it's, it's just, in a good place, right out of the gate. It, yeah. yeah, it's one of those those great moments when you start a record, and sometimes you want to start it over to hear the song one more time before you roll into the rest. <laughs> so it's a dark subject matter, though. Yes. That's still relevant today. Oh, of course, of course. So the song is, is known for some of the clips from speeches and things, like it opens with Malcolm X's speech, Message to the Grassroots, setting the politically charged tone. Uh, of course, the guitar riff, it calls out Stalin, Gandhi, Mussolini, Kennedy, exploring the allure and dangers of charismatic leadership. It criticizes the manipulation of public opinion and blind devotion to charismatic figures. Hmm. Wonder if that happens now. Nah, not relevant. Nah, we're past that. Now. Yeah, totally. We've grown. Thanks to thanks to these guys. People learned their lesson. <laughs> uh, won a Grammy Award for Best Hard Rock Performance in 1990 and remains a signature track, of course. The three words I used to describe the album are vivid, unbound fusion. It's bright. It's very, you know, in some ways, it's... It's those day glow colors of the 80s. In other ways, it's timeless. But the fusion is undeniable. You hear elements of metal. There's some straight-up soul pop songs. Uh, Corey Glover's vocals vary quite a bit. He can do a lot. And that's part of what keeps it really interesting. We have some 
guests, Mick Jagger, Chuck D, Flavor Flav. Uh, it's just like a melting pot of music. The strongest tracks are those that have a little more social commentary, like Cult of Personality, Open Letter to a Landlord, Desperate People, Funny Vibe, Which Way to America. Those have a little more lyrical meat to them, and some of the other songs are more like pop-oriented love songs and things. Did you guys care either way? Did you believe one side of it was stronger than the other? I mean, honestly, my I thought like... Each track really had a pretty distinct topic, which is kind of unusual um, for rock music, at least. Yeah, I mean, those ones I think are strong. Um, I think they have a, a, a interesting perspective, and you know, like that open open letter to a landlord was something I'd never really heard addressed in in music before. Is you know this idea of these yeah. dilapidated buildings having history and importance to the community? Yeah, like the gentrification stuff. Like, hey, think about this. These the stuff you're ripping down. You think is slum garbage is someone's home and they have memories. Yeah, exactly. And- I thought they articulated that point really well. And I, but honestly, I thought all, every track really had a pretty interesting message. So, yeah. Well, speaking of interesting messages, and in this case, in your face messages, let's check out a little bit of Funny Vibe. I mean, as much as I, I was pleasantly surprised by the lyrical content, I think the songs that I gravitated towards most on this record were the ones that were a little more bass-heavy, maybe just because I got bass in the head this week. But uh, yeah, that track there, kind of a, just a jam track, pretty loose lyrics about racism, but pretty loose feel to that track. I really love that, though. And some of the later tracks on the record, too, also get into some pretty interesting funk jam spaces. Three words I used to describe this record are blowing up stereotypes. Yeah, I, you know, I I was impressed. You know, these, this album is, it's gritty in terms of just the production and the sounds, but also, you know, the bass and the, the incorporation of like these different sounds, as, as Dude alluded to, makes it sound a little bit ahead of its time. I mean, definitely sounds a little bit more like the rock we'd get later in the, in the, in the early to mid nineties there, like um, bands like Faith No More, Red Hot Chili Peppers, you definitely can hear a lot of, of similarities. One thing they do have, which is kind of unique, is just straight up guitar shredding at times, like kind of like Zeppelin esque uh, kind of sound, like which kind of comes out of nowhere, <laughs> which is is cool though. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that I would mention too that took me by surprise were there's a handful of uh, more like soulful ballads on here where uh, Glover's vocals are really soft and tender and gentle and it was a sharp sharp contrast to the, the greatness of the rest of the record yeah especially uh, at the end of which way to america which lyrically just listen carefully when you listen to it essentially breaking down how do i get to this america i hear about it's got all this cool mm-hmm. stuff which way there because my america <laughs> is not like that yeah. you know but he he really goes for it vocally at the end of that with a uncharacteristic for the rest of the record like metal scream mm-hmm. kind of thing which is pretty cool yeah he has a pretty wide range like he usually stays right in a mm-hmm. you know kind of a rock space i guess i would say but then occasionally yeah he's, he was impressive it's fun hearing all the little samples and skits and stuff they inter- introduced from you know some hip-hop artists and politicians and whatnot gives it a bit of a you know very timely feel it feels very you know 80s-esque in that in that sense but yeah you know overall i, I enjoyed it a fair amount well speaking of 80s-esque you know, there were a lot of glamour boys strutting around back in the 80s. Why don't we check that track out? Always, always, always 
Yeah, that song's a you know kind of has a, a lighter, poppier vibe, I, I think, than the uh, than the rest of the the album. Even sort of maybe some island sounds in yeah. there. Strange. Mm-hmm. Also that that guitar chucking, I, I think, is there. Is that the chuck um, that we just it, heard? The, I, kind of, I think so. Um, okay. Although I confuse it with the there's the ska thing too, which is similar. You know the ska yeah, the, riff. Yeah, it's very very close. The reggae riff is chaka. <laughs> I'm gonna have to explore that more. But yeah, so as dude alluded to, uh, the the song discusses young men that are obsessed with aspects of high society, such as clothing and, and parties. Uh, I actually like when they get to the the chorus. All of a sudden, there's some power chords thrown in. Yeah. yeah. The three words I, I chose to describe the album are they are fierce. Um, we didn't get to it, but it, in the in in the song Glamour Boys, uh, they declare I'm fierce. Yeah, I mean this is really a it, it's a surprisingly good album, especially considering Dude picked it. I mean I didn't see that coming at all. What a shocker! It, it was. I mean, it's something I was aware of uh, at the time, but I, you know, never spent spent time with with it. And it is, you know, it's just a great fusion of of so many things that that I now love. You know, hard rock and metal, uh, pop uh, and funk. Uh, a little bit a little bit of soul thrown in there. Uh, Glover's voice is, you know, quite uh, uh, dynamic and and soulful. Compared to some of the other funk metal or whatever we is it metal funk funk metal, uh, fettle. Funk kettle. Funk kettle, that's almost crossing a line somehow. So comparing it to the Chili Peppers or Faith No More, it doesn't have the, the rap. It's got Chuck D, but not, not really too much right. rap. No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just, with how excellent this album is, I'm kind of puzzled. It feels like they got left behind. And they they were even on, I think, that first Lollapalooza bill, you know, so they were sort of on the path to to being part of that alternative scene. But it's like the the Seattle grunge kind of hijacked it. I agree. I think that the the change in popular what rock was supposed to sound like definitely hurt them. And not with critics. I mean, their second album also got Grammy nominations uh, as well as their third, I believe. But by that, that was 93, I think, when their third one came out. And by then, I think their sound was considered passe, which is unfortunate. But yeah, I think they're unsung heroes of of the era and of the scene. And for that reason, I'm going to nominate this album for the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. Oh my gosh. Although this fusion was not invented by them, I think they were the first to really nail it. Chili Peppers had been around, feeling it out, finding their way, uh, Faith No More as well, but I feel like this debut album set the scene for what it was supposed to sound like, and the songwriting, the performances, the bass playing, just the undercurrent of funk fused with all these other things, um... Just uh, the more I listened to it for this week, the more I appreciated it and saw its intrinsic value. So, what do you guys think? Well, in the world of Niles Barkley, I think you're crazy, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I definitely enjoyed it more than I thought I would, but I'm not sure it's quite that caliber of an album, to be honest with you. It's definitely very good, and I definitely agreed on the influence. But I don't, I'm going to say no. 
I would vote yes anyway, but you know now you know uh, especially because we'll, this will leave it up to the <laughs> uh, uh, to the audience. Yeah, maybe I'm just maybe it's just a temporary infatuation with me. I mean, this week I I'm just like wow, I really really like this album, and <laughs> and I, I think it's I think it's innovative. And then even so, like a song like Cult of Personality, I feel like any of the grunge acts could have done that song afterwards so you know I, I think i think these grunge acts were probably influenced by by this record so uh, i vote yes i also like the the british spelling of color yeah so done <laughs> there that. you go that's it <laughs> yeah i mean i hesitated to nominate because i wasn't sure if i was on like a you know, when you're on vacation right. and then you want to yeah. live there. I wasn't sure if that's what's happening, if I'm having a, an album honeymoon <laughs> right now. But well, I think we all you know, have I might end up. Those, uh, but I, yeah, I don't know. I'm coming back to Earth pretty quickly on this one. Yeah, so so listeners, go put in your votes, albumnerds.com or albumnerds.com slash Discord, and uh, maybe in a couple of weeks I'll vote it down. But for now, <laughs> it's my jam. That's Living Color Vivid. Go check it out. So we explored the world of funk and funk fusion. What did we learn? Well, one thing that struck me as we were talking about the Chic record, I think Don mentioned that funk, in large part, is responsible for disco. And it never really occurred to me that those two things grew out of each other so, you know, sequentially. So that kind of sucks. I mean... <laughs> Why? I think with funk, because it was often at a slower tempo or something, you know, there's like more space in it. I, I think you can throw that four on the floor beat onto it like really neatly so that the two really fuse well together. Well, I, you know, I think every genre that gets like is more artistically grown, right, that gets synthesized and then used in more popular mm-hmm. Or broad uh, appeal. Yeah. And that, you know, that happens all the time. I mean, it happened with funk into disco. It's happened with, with various types of rock, heavy metal made their way into pop. Huh. So would you say that like each kind of like original genre has like its own bastardized commercial version of itself? Well, it, it's, it, or you could consider it influences, you know, it, it influences pop culture. It's so powerful that it works its way into pop music, rock music, any, all types of forms. And I think that's what I learned was how much funk and bass in particular, that slappy style, how much that worked its way into all sorts of genres that I didn't really realize before. Not consciously realize. I feel so funky. I mean, for me, and I think it came out because we did a great jazz bass player and we did a great, um, you know, kind of disco funk bass player that... It's all about the bass. And that's One to Grow On. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. All right, boys and girls. Everybody grab your fretless bass and gather rounds. It's that time once again to give that wheel of musical destiny a spin and see what's in store for us next week. Next week, you will all be striving to put right what once went wrong. An album that you previously discussed was not given the time or attention it deserves. You will revisit and dig into Purple Rain by Prince. Let's go crazy. So it looks like we're going to be revisiting Prince's Purple Rain 
digging in deep, getting all those crevices and see what uh, what we think. Clean out your couch lately, man, or what's going on? <laughs> it's where you find all the loose change, <laughs> yo. Uh, all right, quick reminder that we do have an ongoing Album Nerds Hall of Fame vote. Um, we have one week left to cast your ballots for Slime the Family Stones. There's a riot going on, so if you have a strong opinion, yay or nay, if the album belongs in the Album Nerds Hall of Fame, go to our website, albumnerds.com, and our Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord, to cast your votes. Uh, I want to give a quick shout-out of congratulations to... Roxy Music, and particularly the album Avalon, been voted in by the listeners. Landslide, overwhelming positivity on the album. So, congratulations, Roxy Music. Welcome to the Hall of Fame. Okay, what's your favorite funk-influenced album? Do you like Prince's Purple Rain? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Album Nerds. And please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you so much for joining us on the Album Nerds podcast. We'll catch you next time. We're going to get purple. Sounds dangerous. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you next week. This is Purple Rain. It's gonna be in the Hall of Fame. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all about that bass, about that bass.